Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for your love for us, which you demonstrate and demonstrated in sending him to die for our sins. And I thank you that he came willingly and loved us so much that he would give himself for us. Lord, I thank you that you reveal this wonderful truth in your word. And it's uh, through the truth of the good news concerning your son Jesus that we're saved by him. And uh, Lord, we're also, through your word, you use it to grow us in respect to salvation, in respect to our relationship with you. And I pray as we look into your word today that you would help us gain wisdom and insight into your intent, into what your son shared, that we might um, respond rightly so that you would be greatly magnified in each and every one of our lives. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed lately, uh, the world is falling apart. Um, And it's been falling apart for a long time. Uh, Ever since uh, uh, Eve uh, was deceived and then Adam rebelled, ever since Adam rebelled, our our world has been uh, a sinful world, uh, corrupted by sin. Mankind corrupted by sin. Uh, It's ungodly. And it seems like with the media we have these days, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It just seems like it. The ungodliness and the wickedness that is just pumped through day after day. And so as we are in this ungodly world, uh, the Lord has chosen, at least for now, to leave each and every one of us here for now. We are in an ungodly world. And so how are we as believers to behave in the midst of those uh, who are ungodly, those who don't know God, those who are wicked? How are we to behave? What are we to be like? Should we be uh, running campaigns to moralize uh, society? Should we, uh, be, should we be trying to uh, bring about the kingdom on earth? What should we be doing? What should we be doing as uh, believers Well, if you turn your Bibles, so we're going to see today how we are to behave, uh, how the blessed, how the saved are to behave in an ungodly world. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, preparing for the next book we're going to study, and uh, uh, the Lord can change it, but we're going to study Nehemiah, and so be praying uh, for that. Um, that should come in the next couple of weeks, uh, Lord willing. I have a few other messages I want to share. The Lord wants me to share, but I'm preparing for that. So be reading through it. I think it'll be a blessing for us as we go through it together. So with that in mind, in the book of Matthew, I want to just share briefly the context. We're all pretty familiar with it, but uh, at this portion of the book, we come to what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's important to realize that these chapters, chapters 5 through 7, uh, are, are a, a group of, uh, uh, it's, it's a group of teaching, obviously, that the Lord Jesus brought forth. And I believe it reveals something. It reveals kingdom righteousness presented by the king, King Jesus, which confronts phony righteousness, which is truly, actually, lawlessness. It's kingdom righteousness uh, given by the king, presented by him, which confronts phony righteousness, which is actually lawlessness. 
And he begins with the Beatitudes, these uh, phrases and statements which uh, do not tell us what to be, but they tell us what you are if you are blessed. You are blessed if this characterizes you, which means uh, if you're blessed, you are in a relationship with the living God through faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so it reveals really those who are in the kingdom. If you look at these blessed statements, it reveals the lifestyle of those who are truly uh, in the kingdom of heaven who have been saved. And you see the Lord Jesus graciously came upon these Jews who would have said they were in the kingdom And he came to show them that they fell short, that they truly weren't, that actually they were sitting in darkness, as we'll say. And indeed, these statements will reveal and do reveal, these these blessed uh, statements reveal who is truly in the Lord, who is in the kingdom, and it also by nature exposes who isn't. Now, at the end of the Beatitudes, in verses 11 and 12, the Lord uh, no longer speaks to blessed are they or theirs. He begins to say, blessed are you. He makes it personal. And he speaks about those who are uh, truly believers as evidenced by the manifestation of Christ in them and thus persecution. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And it's from this point uh, he jumps into a set of uh, another set of statements that reveal ultimately how those who are blessed should be in the context of an ungodly world. So how are we to be in the midst of this wickedness that is all around us? And it's all around us. And, you know, we need to not point our fingers very far because we still have uh, the, the, the remnants of sin in our lives that God is weeding out and working out. But we are not the ungodly. We are, the, we are saints because of Christ. Uh, we should be uh, becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be abstaining from wickedness and, and, and uh, trusting in Jesus, as we sang earlier. But we still have sin. We understand that. But yet there is the world, which is those who do not know Christ, as we will see, and they are ungodly. How are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world? Well, I believe the Lord Jesus is going to reveal this for us today through his word. And let's go back in chapter 5 and read verse 13. I've taught on this before, but it's not a, it's too much to teach 13 and 14 and 16, so we're just going to look at 14 and 16, but I will review 13. You are the salt of the earth. Notice he's saying you now. He's, he's talking to his disciples. He's pointing to them, I believe. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled upon, uh, trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're going to see the reality today that we are the light of the world, that we are to uh, not cover up his righteousness in us by sinning. We need to allow his righteousness to be manifest in our lives so that the world will see it, and the world will give him glory and honor when they're either judged or when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have two declarations of what true believers are. Those who are the blessed, those who are true believers. And first of all, we see that we are the salt 
of the earth, the salt of the earth. And I'm not going to go through this like I did before, but let's just review this, review verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, again, I've, I've mentioned this already, but who is the you that he is speaking to here? Remember, the Lord Jesus has changed from blessed are they, theirs is the kingdom, he, he's the they's to you, to you. He's speaking to those who are blessed now more directly, uh, I believe, to his disciples in this context. Look at verse 11. He says, blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you. It's personal. And they say all kinds of evil against, false against you on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. These are believers. They have a reward in heaven. And he's going to move on to talk about them being the salt of the world and the light of the world. They're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Notice verse 13. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. Now, we understand about salt pretty much, and in the ancient Near East, it was a very valuable commodity. It was used to help preserve meats, to keep them from spoiling, and it was also used to flavor foods. We do that now, right? Now, I believe the analogy the Lord is making here is not one of preserving, but of flavor, and that's because of what it's connected here. But if the salt has become tasteless, it's flavor. You are the flavor of the world. You are that flavor. You are that which flavors the world. And we have the parallel statement. You are the light of the earth. Or, excuse me, the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Indeed, the world apart from Christ is bound in sin like each and every one of us was before Christ. Uh, living in the context of unrighteousness. And the world within itself has no true understanding of the righteousness of Christ and what it tastes like. It has no true understanding. You see, there are none righteous, not even one. There are none who does good, Romans chapter 3. And so here we have these verses here that talk about you are these things preceding the blessed, those who are truly saved. And it's because of Christ that we see that. We see in verses uh, uh, 10 and 11, blessed are you who are persecuted, right? He says here, blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteous sake of righteousness. Verse 10, it's because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he changes, blessed are you. It's for the sake of righteousness that persecution comes. So they're righteous. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil false against you falsely on account of of me. You see, on account of Jesus living his life through us, we are able to do what is right, and because of his righteousness in us, we will be persecuted. And thus we are the flavor, the seasoning of Christ and his righteousness in the midst of a unrighteous world. And as we're going to see, uh, this righteousness is manifest in our deeds, in our deeds, in our behavior. It's validated by our passage. Look down at verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works or good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They might see it and glorify your Father. Not their Father. They're not saved yet, but they might be saved if they come to faith or they're going to glorify Him in the context of judgment. 
as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so then, we by faith, as we allow Christ to be manifest in us, when we trust Jesus, we sang the song, trusting Jesus, when we believe what he has said and we allow his word to change our minds and then thus act upon his truth by his spirit, we're going to manifest a different behavior than unrighteous. We're going to manifest his righteousness. Indeed, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, the fruit of the light, as we'll see, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So then, what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying you are the flavor, you're the seasoning uh, in the midst of a corrupt world. It is the righteousness of Christ manifest in us that the world does not have and does not know apart from believers who are manifesting the character and righteousness of Christ. You are the salt of the world. You're the salt, excuse me, the salt of the earth. And so when someone comes to faith, when someone is truly saved, delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, you are now the, the flavor of his righteousness to those in the world who do not know him. Now what happens when that something happens to that salt, happens to that flavor? We have the analogy. He says here, uh, but if the salt has become tasteless, middle of verse 13, how will it be made salty again? It's an illustration. When salt became tasteless, in a sense, because it had, now people say, well, real salt cannot become tasteless. Well, salt was never pure, and it would become tasteless. And see, if it be, when it becomes tasteless, how would it be made salty again? It's good for nothing. It's not doing its purpose. So people would trample it on the foot on the ground. It would be thrown out, Right? So it's a serious statement. If we act, behave inconsistently with our true nature in the context of the world, then we are good for nothing. Because God has placed us here for a purpose. Now there are multiple purposes. But we're going to see one of that is to be the manifestation of his righteousness on the earth. To be the manifestation of Christ on the earth. Now there are other purposes we're here to serve him, to serve one another, to 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 exalt him, to be built up and and glorify him, but one of the purposes is to be that manifestation of Christ. You are the salt of the earth. And so at this point, being the salt of the earth, Jesus moves to the analogy of light. He moves to the analogy of light. And so how are we to behave in an ungodly world? Well, first of all, we need to recognize we are Christ, the flavor of Christ to an unbelieving world. But notice what he says here in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now remember who he's talking to. These, you know, there's, there's all the Jews who don't know him, who don't believe there. And the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they're they're marveling, but they, most of them are going to say crucify him later on. But he does have his disciples and 11 of them do believe. But as we look at them, they're kind of messed up at times, aren't they? They're kind of like us. And he's saying to them, you are the light of the world. Really? Peter's the light of the world? Really? This uh, this kind of makes them like John and James, they're the light of the world? Hmm. Notice what he says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. city set in a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure. Put on the lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You, you are this. 
He's speaking of the blessed, those who have a relationship with the Father, those who have a reward in heaven, those in whom is the kingdom of heaven. It's theirs, it's the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you are the light of the world. Again, an analogy just like you are the salt of the earth. It's an analogy. So what does this analogy mean? What does it mean? (coughs) Well, certainly, we understand uh, the basic idea of light and darkness. We understand that. And the Lord Jesus is using this illustration, and it is also used throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, we constantly see the metaphors of darkness and light. And thus within that, (coughs) light representing righteousness and darkness representing sin, evil, and unrighteousness. You see, God himself is portrayed as light, and those who are in him are portrayed as sons of light or children of light. In Scripture, we have the affirmation that God is light. <coughs> Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, verse 5. John writes, he says, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Here's the message we heard from him, that's the Lord Jesus, and we're going to announce it to you. That God is light. Here's the message. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfectly holy. There is no sin in God. And if we say then, thus, if we say, we who are in him, we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth. We we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We see here very clearly that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no sin, no evil. He's perfectly holy. And light is consistently also associated with the attributes of God, such as goodness and righteousness and truth. Like I mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 5. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And God's word is also seen metaphorically as light, that which is pure, that which illumines Uh, Our hearts and minds, that which protects us from walking in darkness. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It illumines. Now God, now the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is also portrayed as light. Look at John 1. John 1. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being, and it's come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. He's the light of men. He's the light of men. We see that. Then we see this earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people were sitting in darkness, who were sitting in darkness, saw a great light. They weren't sitting in a dark room and all of a sudden an LED bulb shined. The reality is they're sitting in sin, in their own sin, thinking they're righteous, by the way. And Christ, the perfect son of God, God the son, the perfect lamb who was spotless, came in their midst and they saw the light of his righteousness. 
You see, in his character, in his holiness. In him was life and the light of men. And so Matthew 4.18, the people were sitting in darkness, saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land until the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from this time, from this time, uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're in darkness. There's judgment coming. You need to repent because the king is at hand and the, thus the kingdom is at hand. And so we see the Lord Jesus, a uh, perfect manifestation of righteousness, uh, uh, the righteous one, the righteous, the just who died for the unjust, Right. And Jesus himself even declared himself to be the light of the world. Interesting. He said he's the light of the world. Then he goes on later on and says, you're the light of the world. How about that? John 8, verse 12. Take a look at that. John 8, verse 12. And again, therefore, Jesus spoke to saying, I am the light of the world. Wow, that's pretty amazing. He says, I'm the light of the world. And he calls believers the light of the world, doesn't he? Very interesting. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. There's a key on how not to walk in darkness, by the way. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to follow him. And he says here, um, well, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life. John 9, 5. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, he says. Jesus is the light of the world. He says while he was in the world, he was the light of of the world. Now look, uh, and it's through faith in Christ, as we see, um, that we are delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it's through faith in Christ we're cleansed of our sins and we're able to walk in the light. Uh, John 12. Let's see here. Let me see if that's it. Actually, back, go back in, uh, in John, John, uh, 5, John 3. Go back to John three. Actually, let's go back. Let's go back to John, John one. Okay. <laughs> Look at John one verse five. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. There came a man from God who was sent. His name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of what, of the light, that all might believe through him. He, is, he was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. There was a true light who coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And then go a little farther down to John 3.16. John 3.16, very familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, what? Everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. First coming salvation, second coming judgment. If you miss salvation, by the way. He who believes in him is not judged. Uh, he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil, okay? For everyone who, hate, who, who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light that his deeds should be exposed. 
But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. In God, tremendous. It's Christ. Christ is the light. He is the light of the world. And notice, when we are delivered from darkness, we're transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are able to walk then in the light. Now go to John 12. John 12. A lot of light in John, isn't there? John 12, 34. The multitude therefore answered him, said, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? See, they, they understood. Uh, who is the Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. You've got to believe in Jesus and then you become a son of the light. You become a child of the light. Look down at verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And guess what? We are the light of the world. Yes, we have functioning within the body of Christ, but in general, we are the manifestation, as we'll see, of Christ in the world. We are the light of the world. When we were saved, we were delivered from darkness, our sin into light, into righteousness, from Satan's domain to the kingdom of, his, of, of, of God's beloved son, Jesus. Listen to what Paul shares in Acts 26. Turn to Acts 26. Listen to his testimony. We don't recognize at times what we have been delivered from, so we shouldn't walk in it, by the way. Stop being angry, irritated, worrying. Stop lusting. Stop all this stuff. Don't walk that way, as we'll see. Don't walk that way. Confess it. Acts 26, this is the Apostle Paul's testimony. Uh, before Agrippa, I believe. And he says uh, in verse 12, While thus engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority commission of the chief priests. And this is Acts 26, verse 13 now. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. How about that? Brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to listen to this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. To open their eyes, convicted of their sin, then they have a choice to believe and turn to, from darkness to light, to turn to the Lord for forgiveness. Don't reject that when that happens. Don't reject that when the Lord enlightens your heart with the gospel. Turn to him for salvation. When you realize you are in darkness and on the precipice of judgment, turn to the light. From darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. When you're convicted of your sin, turn to Jesus. 
and get saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you realize God has exposed your sin and his judgment for sin and his holiness and righteousness, turn to him. Turn to him. So Paul was, was, was purpose was that they would be enlightened so that they would turn. Turn from darkness to light, from the domain of Satan to God. So then, we see that we have been delivered. We've been delivered, believers. We've been delivered. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he delivered us from the domain or the dominion, the sphere of darkness. That's where we were. We lived in the sphere of sin and death and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Wow, tremendous, wonderful. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. We've been called out of darkness into his light. So then, God has opened our eyes to our sinful condition through the gospel, and he has revealed the Savior, Jesus Christ, through the gospel, <coughs> that by faith we've been delivered from darkness to light, receiving the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful thing. And now scripture identifies us now as children of light. Or light. <laughs> Indeed, the Apostle Paul used this metaphor uh, talking about the Corinthians when they, were, when they were being mixed spiritually. They were messed up. They, they had kind of dabbled in dark stuff in a sense. And he's going to make this illustration for them. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, they were yoking themselves with uh, false teachers, with darkness. They were yoking themselves. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't do that because of something. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Great verse for telling you not to be yoked with uh, unbelievers in your marriage. That's certainly true. But here in the context of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see. He's talking about the bad guys uh, as false apostles, those servants of Satan disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. And so he says here, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Light and darkness have no fellowship. There's no sharing. They're totally opposite. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with a non-believer? you got nothing in common. Don't be bound together. Don't be unequally yoked with them. Because you are light and not darkness. They're in darkness. They're in sin. So they walk in sin. So how can you be yoked? You're going to end up walking in sin too. Don't do that. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. There's a lot of passages to talk about this. Uh, even Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. That we're no longer to walk in darkness like we used to. We're not to walk in that anymore. And the scriptures remind us we can be tempted to do so, by the way. We wouldn't be needed to be instructed if we couldn't be tempted. And if we couldn't fall. So we need to be instructed. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as, as is proper among saints. Don't let this be named among you. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, 
but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, Christ and God. Hey, you just know that, right? They're not saved. They're going to hell. That's what he's saying. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Whenever I see that, I think of the mainline denominations. I see the little rainbow thing in front of the United Methodists. Everyone's welcome. And stay that way. No, you're on your way to hell. Don't be deceived. If you practice this, you're not in the kingdom. But Jesus can deliver you like he did the Corinthians. He can deliver you. And so he says here, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because of sin, God's wrath comes upon those who are characterized by disobedience. In the, the Satan is their spiritual father, and they are sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness. You were just like that, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk in the light. Don't walk like you did. Now, Christians have a way of walking in darkness and making it kind of spiritual, by the way, uh, rather than the outright sin they used to do before. But sin is darkness no matter what sin it is. Don't walk in that. Don't walk in that. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? We see the exhortation to not walk in darkness is based on God's wrath upon those who are in darkness, by the way, what you've been delivered from. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 4. But brethren, you, excuse me, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. You're not in darkness. That the day should overtake you like a thief. That's the day the Lord's talking about. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are, we are not of the night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For, Christ, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. You're not sons of darkness. You're sons of light. You're sons of light. How about Romans chapter 13? Turn to Romans chapter 13. It's all throughout Scripture. Uh, the reality of who we are, thus walk that way. Thus walk that way. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 11. And do this knowing something, that the time, uh, that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Wake up from that sleepiness and sin. The illustration is darkness, sleeping, sin, right? You know, those who, who, who do their sleeping at night, they get drunk at night. Remember that back in Thessalonians? Talking about sin, right? The, the metaphor here. And he says here, the night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness. Set them aside. Stop. You can stop by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your, your flesh says, I can't, I can't, I can't. Satan says, you can't, you can't, you can't. And Christ says, that if you trust him, he'll deliver you. No temptations come upon you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. In Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
So he says here, put on the armor of light, let us behave properly in the, as in the day, not carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in, regards, in regard to its lusts. The reality is we see throughout Scripture we have the metaphor of light, which is a characteristic of the living God. He is light. There's no darkness in him. He's completely righteous, holy. There's no sin or evil in him. Yet mankind is in sin and darkness. But Jesus came. He was the light of the world. And when we place our faith in him, we are delivered from darkness to light. We are delivered from the wrath of God upon us, thus into salvation from that wrath. We're delivered from that, the wrath to come. So this should motivate us to godly living. We should be raising our understanding of how bad sin is, and, and we should be recognizing God has saved us not to sin, but to walk with him. You are, back in our passage, the light of the world. Well, Jesus was the light of the world while he was on earth, and now we, while we are on earth, are the light of the world because we have Jesus in us. Okay, You are the light of the world. He's saying you are the manifestation of Christ, the true light in a dark world. So then how is it that we manifest his light? Well, in verse 16, we see it talks of good deeds as the manifestation of the righteousness of Christ in our lives. And let us not forget the life of Christ in us will be manifest through the word of God as we proclaim his excellencies also. First uh, Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One pastor writes, If an unbeliever comes in contact with you, he ought to see your, in your life the reflection of the character of God. He ought to hear from your lips the truth concerning God. God saved you in order that you would proclaim his excellencies. And what a tragedy that some unbelievers have repeated contact with Christians, yet they never hear from them the marvelous excellencies of the one who called them out of darkness into light. We are to be proclaiming the truth of salvation. We're the light of the world, as we're going to see. And as Jesus says here, you are the light of the world. Or literally, you are the world's light. You are the world's light. Now, with this in mind, what does he mean by the world here? He said the earth earlier, you're the salt of the earth, but now he says the world. What does that mean? Well, obviously in context, the world is in darkness, right? If you're the light of the world, the world is in darkness. That's just just, just implied. He's speaking here of unbelieving mankind. Indeed, we're going to see later on. We're going to let our light shine before men. Before men. The world in this context is not speaking of the world. It's speaking of those who inhabit the world who do not know Christ. That's who it's speaking of. That's who it's speaking of. All right, so we are the light of the world. And the world, what is it? Well, the term world is used consistently throughout Scripture about those who do not know God. Those who do not know God. The world consists of the unregenerate, the unredeemed, those who have not been born again, each one of us before we came to Christ, those who are not saved, those who function based on their own wisdom, lust, and desires, not the will of God as revealed in the word of God. The world consists of those who are still in their sins, the unrighteous, those in darkness, those who walk in darkness. So then in the midst of a sin-sick, dark world, we are the world's light exclusively exclusively we are the world's light 
we are the only visible manifestation of Christ in a dark world. So back at our passage, along with the analogy of salt, we need to not miss this. He doesn't say, become light. He says, you are, you are the world's light. You are the light of the world. It is a fact. He says, you are. And so first of all, how are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world? We must realize, first and foremost, we are the world's light. If I don't realize that, I'm not going to recognize that my behavior has a, quite an impact on the world, right? It has quite an impact on those who do not know Christ, because we are the world's light. Now, secondly, we need to recognize, as we'll see, that we have this position placed in the world, and we also have a purpose in the world also. Now, this isn't everything that we're here for, but this is one of the reasons why we're here, right? Right? So he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. And he says a city, now he's going to give two illustrations, one that points to our position and second one that points to our purpose, okay? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Simple illustration followed by another which I believe will drive home two important truths the Lord's going to share regarding our position as the light and our purpose as the light of the world. So he's already said you are. So notice the first illustration. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is a pretty simple illustration. In the day which Jesus shared these truths, many cities were on hills, and if you were walking towards them, a city towards a city at night, the lights of the city would be easily seen. Now, those are obviously not electric lights, right? <laughs> but they're, you know, candles or whatever, you know, lamps, you know. Um, and so the lights of the city would be easily seen because of the position of it being on a hill. He's talking, he's illustrating, you're on a hill, or a city on a hill can't be, he's not saying a city in a valley, a city behind trees, He's saying a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So he's talking about the position. And actually this word cannot speaks of being, it's incapable. It's impossible. It cannot be hidden. It's not able to be concealed. So what's the point he's making here? I believe he's speaking of location, of the location of the light. He's giving an illustration cannot be hidden. God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light when he saved us. By now, by virtue of our location being in the middle of an unsaved world, we cannot be hidden. It's impossible to be hidden from an unsaved world because we are in the middle of it. It's like a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You see, when God saved us, he did not remove us from this dark world, but he left us here for a time as sojourners on our way to glory. And by virtue of being in the midst of a dark world, we cannot be hidden. Just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's impossible. It's impossible not to see it when the light is on, right? When the light is on, you see it. And for us, we're going to see when his light is manifest in us, it is impossible for others not to see it. That takes all the pressure off because we're not lighting it up, as we'll see, but we're allowing Christ to live through us where we are. We're not having to go out and try and figure out stuff. We are already in the world. 
We're already here. It can't be hidden. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, can't believers hide? You know what I'm talking about, the undercover Christians, those that no one in the world knows are Christians, right? Well, the reality is, the point God is making here, God in the flesh, is that we are in the world and we can't be hidden by virtue of our placement, our position, of our position. And if the light is shining, it's going to be seen. It's going to be seen. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. So everybody tries to go out and be seen for Christ when we're already placed there, where God has us, right? And he wants to manifest his righteousness in us, in a dark world. Now let me remind you that we don't want to become worldly because for that season we become tasteless and good for nothing. And that might even be an evidence you don't know the Lord. What about 1 John 2? Do not love the world, verse 15, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says there, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of, the, of God abides forever. So Jesus is making a point, and it has to do with location. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It is impossible to be hidden. It's impossible. You know, each one of us got saved, and I, and I can guarantee you not every one of your family members is saved. Not, you, you, you can't be hidden. It's impossible for you to be hidden in your families. It's impossible for you to be hidden at work. It's impossible you to be hidden. You're set in a hill. Now, if you are shining, as we will see, you cannot be hidden. But the reality is because of sin, one might not be shining, as we'll see. The character of Christ might not be manifest, and then it's good for nothing to be trampled on by, uh, by men. So then, first of our position, don't forget that by virtue of being a believer in, in this world, you cannot be hidden. Don't forget that. So how are we to behave in the midst of ungodly world? Realize we're already there. We're already there. We don't have to go out and do something different, go somewhere different. We are already there. We are already there. Secondly, notice the second illustration reveals our purpose. Lamps are lit so that they'll shine. They're lit so that they'll shine. Verse 15, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, for many years as I was a child, I wondered, what is a peck measure? <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Well, basically, it's a large bowl of about two-gallon size, and so he's saying lamps are not lit to be hidden. You were not saved to be hidden. You were not saved to not be manifesting the light of Christ. Lamps are not lit to be hidden. Lamps are lit, ultimately, but on the lampstand. Uh, it gives light to all who are in the house. It gives light to all who are in the house. Nobody turns a light on and then covers it. That's contrary to its very purpose in nature. Nobody does that. Its simple purpose is to light, right? To shine. And in context, the very simple point, if we are the light of the world, we are designated and designed to shine his light in the world. That's our purpose. Now, that's not all of our purposes, but that's one of our purposes in relationship to the world. If you are a true believer in Christ, uh, 
The life of Christ should be manifesting in you. And if it's not coming forth, you're not fulfilling your purpose. God saved you. You are the light of the world. Now, again, we saw in the illustration of salt, if you're not salty, it's good to be trampled over, right? If you become like the world, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible thing, right? So let me ask you this. Are you trusting and obeying Christ? If you're his, your light can't be hidden. It's his light, right? He placed you in the midst of a dark world specifically to shine. That's what he did, right? And that leads us to our last verse. If then you are the light of the world placed by God in a dark world, uh, what, 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 what's the result? What's the result? Let's read through our whole passage. You are the light of the world. A city and a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it on under their peck measure, but the, put on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at this, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way, now we're going to talk about the word such a way in a minute, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, here is why we are positioned to where we are. Here is why we are purposed for what we are to do. Let your light shine. It's an imperative command. Let your light shine. Let it shine. You know, we could think of the kids' song, right? Let it shine, okay? That means don't inhibit it. Don't attempt to hide it, right? Well, how is it that I'm to let it shine? Well, I think in this point, I, I appreciate the NASB. It's one of my favorite translations, but in this verse, I think it does a disservice to it. It translates this phrase in such a way. Now, the Greek word is hutos, and this really means thus, or in this manner, or in this way, reflecting, re reflecting back to what has just been said. Here, the term in such a way doesn't reflect back to anything. It just kind of gives you a sense of, let it shine in any way you think it's going to shine, in such a way, make it up, whatever you think it's shining. No, it's not what he's saying. You see, this phrase is not in any other version in such a way, actually. You should translate it in this manner, or in this way, or thus. So then... Since we are the light of the world and God has placed us in a place that cannot be hidden, he says, therefore, let your light shine. Therefore, thus, in that way, being on a hill not hidden, let it shine. That's what he's saying. He's not giving you the option of figuring out in such what way it shines. He's talking about what he just said. Therefore, or thus... In this manner, being on a hill lit, not covered, shine. Don't sh you can't shine if you're covered. You can't shine if you're not if you're hidden, right? You can't shine. So in that way, let your light shine, uncovered and in its proper place. Okay, let it shine. So I believe the force of what's being said here is pointing back to what was just said. Thus, not hidden and open to all. Let your light shine. That's what it's saying. That's what he means there. So now I'm not a fan of the NIV all the time, but they say it this way. In the same way, they, they're right. They're right on there. Let your light shine. They're right on. The same way. Not hidden under a peck measure, right? In the same way, let it shine. So then in the same way as the illustration that just came forth, let it shine. Open, unhindered. Don't hide. Don't let it be covered. Don't let it be covered. Don't cover up the light with darkness. It's sin, by the way. Don't allow sin in your life. 
so that the light of Christ is effectively snuffed out. Right? You are the light of the world. Let it shine before men unhindered and according to its original purpose given by God. And notice the purpose, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the purpose for our light shining before men. Let your light shine. It's imperative command. It's not a suggestion. Sounds like a suggestion. Let your light shine. That's not a suggestion. Imperative command. Shine it. Okay? You are the light, so shine it. And so if it's saying that, saying don't let sin snuff it out. Now the song says don't let Satan snuff it out. It's our sin that snuffs it out, right? It's our sin that covers his character, right? It's our sin that inhibits his character from coming out in us. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So first of all, the purpose is twofold. First of all, that they may see your good works. They is the world. Those in darkness, those unbelievers at your work, those unbelievers in your family, those unbelievers around you, that they may see. Now, sometimes unbelievers say they're believers. The they is the unbelievers, and whether they say they are or not, right? That they may see your good works. That they may see your good works. Now, I've shared with you before that there are two different words translated good in Scripture. And they both carry the, the sense of being intrinsically morally good. Okay? But one has an added sense to it of a visible beauty to it. And that's Agatha. And so we have here, it speaks of that which is morally good. Excuse me, Kalos. The other one is Agatha. And Kalos, which speaks of that which is morally good, but it's outwardly beautiful. Your good, outwardly beautiful, righteous works, in a sense, from, from Christ, as we'll see that they may see your beautiful works. Your beautiful good works, as it says here, outwardly beautiful. And folks, these are good works that are wrought in God, as we see, that God has brought forth in you. You see, we were created for good works that we would walk in them, not create them. It's not the goody-two-shoes committees of the unbelieving denominations that do good works. It is allowing the goodness of Christ to be manifest in you, in your behavior, as we'll say. Very clearly, the scripture is clear about this, that, uh, that uh, good works are from God and we walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, or the word means poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He's already got it worked out. He's set you on the hill. He's put around you who he wants to be around you. He's chosen that, and we're there, right? And he says here, um, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them. We see in Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that God's word prepares us for every good work, doesn't it? You see, I'm not going to manifest his character unless I become like him, and it's his word that does that. Indeed, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for uh, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. God's word equips me to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. If I'm not equipped, I'm not going to walk in those good works. Those good works manifesting his character in the context of those who don't know him. We were saved purified and possessed by the Lord to be zealous for good deeds. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous to allow his goodness to be manifest in our actions. Are you zealous for his character to be manifest in your actions? Are you zealous for good deeds, for that which is of God to be manifest in your life? That's why he purified us. You see, when the word of God is functioning in the life of a true believer, when the word of Christ is dwelling richly, when our minds are renewed rather than conformed to this world, we will prove what God's will is. We will demonstrate his word in our actions. These are the good works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Don't try to be good. You'll never be able to do so. Allow God through his word to change your thinking and equip you and then in obedience and faith walk with the Lord and walk into those good works by his power and strength. The righteousness of Christ manifest in our lives is beautiful and he has set us in a place that cannot be hidden. So let it shine. Let it shine. Let your light shine, let it shine, let the life of Christ be manifest. Stop inhibiting it, stop hiding it with your selfishness and sin. Renew your mind with the word, confess sin need be, allow his life to be manifest in you. And let me illustrate, turn to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2. The illustration is setting aside sin so that we will, we will, we will shine. You're not shining if you're, if you're holding on to sin, by the way, if you're grumpy, uh, complaining, whatever it is, that's this, no, if you're worrying and... We're tempted. We all fall. We're tempted. But confess it. Confess it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. One of the most uh, disobeyed uh, scriptures in the Bible. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, or even complaining. You could say that. That you might prove yourselves. Don't sin so that you would demonstrate yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The bowl is on your head when you're complaining, okay? Confess your complaining. Uh, allow God to give you the patience, the fruit of his life in you, to trust him, to respond in a kind way. Allow him to do that and you'll be shining in the midst. Let your light shine. It's Christ in you. Let Christ be manifest in your life. Don't inhibit that by sinning. It's really what it is. He's already placed you where he wants you to be. Just let him shine through you. You are the light of the world. Therefore, he says, shine. You see, we're to walk as children of light. We are now light in the Lord, Ephesians 5. Uh, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed to the light. For everything that it becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, for the days are evil. You are the light of the world, therefore shine. Walk as children of light. Let it shine. Let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine by confessing my sin and trusting Jesus and allowing him to change my attitude, actions, and, and thoughts towards every circumstance in my life, towards every person in my life, letting Christ control me. Let it shine. And then notice the second purpose and the last one here. 
that they may see your good works. They'd see them visibly. They're going to see it. It's visible. Now, they might not like it because, you know, earlier he said, blessed are you persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, if they're seeing your good works, you're maybe going to get persecuted, by the way, just to remember that part, too. But your reward in heaven is great. Now, I'm talking about uh, uh, stale, uh, uh, pious uh, righteousness. I'm talking about Christ in you, giving you a different demeanor, a different continence, a different attitude and actions towards people, his ways. So, so notice what he says here, that they might see your good works, and then secondly, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Hey, you're the saved. He's your Father, right? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. The, trans, the word translated glorify, doxodzo, uh, speaks of, uh, it's where we get our word doxology from, right? It speaks of giving a high status, praising, honoring, magnifying, okay? It's all about the life of Christ being manifest in us, which brings the Father glory when it is seen by those who don't know him. And we're going to see that. Where's that glory coming from? It's coming from, obviously, the light shining and their response, and then them glorifying our Father who is in heaven. It's the unbelievers glorifying. It's the one the light is shining upon, that they may see and glorify your Father who is in heaven, that they may see your good works, and that they may, it's implied there, glorify your Father who is in heaven. He's not their Father yet, or it would have said their Father in heaven. They're not saved but the hope is that they would be saved, that an unbelieving world would see Christ in you and be convicted and turn and believe and then give God glory for Christ and what he did through you, not you, but what he did through you and glorify your Father who is in heaven. First Peter 2.12 Keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles. That's your family, that's everyone around you. Keep it excellent so that in the thing which which they slander you as evildoers, hey, they're slandering you, he says here, they may on account of your what? Good deeds as they observe them. And this is just what we're talking about here. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Day of visitation, the day he visits them in salvation or the day he visits them in judgment. They're going to glorify him. They're going to give him glory. They're going to give him glory. You see, it's so simple. As God has placed us in the midst of an unbelieving world, uh, don't cover it up. When you take it off, it can't be hidden. Let it shine. Let it shine so that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, they're going to persecute now, but there's going to be glory later, whether it's through salvation or through submission in the context of judgment. They're going to glorify. So then, how are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world? How do we behave in the midst of those who don't know Christ I just answered that, right? Let your light shine, right? When the manifestation of the life and truth of Christ is in us, it's going to shine forth. We're to allow it to do so, not to inhibit it with sin, not to cover it up. We're in the midst. We're not away. We're in the middle of of a dark world. Let it shine so that they would ultimately see it and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So let me ask you, are you shining? Are you shining? If you don't know Christ, you are in darkness. You cannot shine. You, you can do your, your righteous works, your deeds in righteousness, but they're not righteous from God's sight. Yet God has placed true believers around you, and you've seen the manifestation of him. He enlightens every man. Christ does through his people even. And he's been manifest to you as you've seen the truth of God and heard it through the word of God, through the gospel. 
He's shown that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn to him and be saved, and then he will shine through you. Well, what about us? Are we shining? Simple question. Are we shining or are we sinning? That's really it, right? We're either sinning or shining. There's no in-between, right? If we're not sinning, then we're abiding in Christ and his character is coming forth. And that shining is going to happen. It's just a light. They're going to see it. You know, see a light, see a light. doesn't mean they're going to respond every minute. It's there. When the light is on, they're going to see the light. It's there. It's on. Is the light on? So that God would be glorified. Well, if you're caught up in sin, confess your sin. Renew your mind with the word of God. Confess it. Let him transform your mind that he would prove through you what his will is that he would manifest his goodness in you. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, as his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth, that means to do over and over again the truth, comes to the light, that his deeds will be manifest, having been wrought in God. God brought them about. Let your light shine, that he would get all the glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much, and just forgive us for when we are selfish and sinning and and your character is not manifest in us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would realize they are uh, on the precipice of judgment, and that uh, you love them, and you sent your son to die for them, and I pray they would call upon him to save them. And Lord, for those of us who are yours, I pray that we would just obey this, let our light shine, that we would... uh, not hide uh, the manifestation of Christ through sin, that we would confess sin quickly, we renew our minds, that we would practice the truth, that your word would be running in our heads and we would do what you say as we walk with you by your strength and power. And as we walk with you, may we walk into those good deeds that you've prepared beforehand so that those around us would see it and glorify you in eternity, Lord. So we thank you for what we've heard today. Help us not to forget. In Jesus' name.